2: Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about Andor Episode 7 announcement. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta Joining me on this podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And special guest, our Star Wars expert, Brian Young. And that's me. <laughs> okay guys uh so this is episode seven we, we don't have any feedback from last week uh so we'll go right into the brief reactions brad what did you think of this episode
3: uh i think it's a pretty great episode uh lots of uh tension building um not necessarily uh one of the more thrilling episodes but you know after the heist i think that's to be expected slow things down a little bit um but i like what's done here as far as laying the groundwork for a little bit more of, uh, you know, Cassian's past and how it, you know, kind of creates this interesting picture of, uh, you know, who he, who he is from his past and how it compares to what he's trying to do now. And it kind of gives you this idea that, you know, no matter how hard Cassian tries, he's kind of always been uh, a rebel, even if he keeps trying to run away from it, uh, even before there was a rebellion, uh, essentially. And, uh, yeah, I just... I also really like the what comes from Mon Mothma's side of the story, uh, in this episode as well. But uh we'll get into the specifics of that as we uh go on later in the episode. But yes, overall I think a really great episode. Um this uh, the writing here, you know, again is just really what makes this series uh shine and like, you know, Tony Gilroy's style is is all over this. But, you know, um this this also felt like uh for really because it became came from one of the writers of the show, but this uh adds to the feeling that the show kind of feels like the americans uh the, the f x uh series about uh spies you know during the cold War and uh yeah, so good stuff
2: yeah and you're you're talking about the writer of this episode is Stephen Schiff who uh wrote the nineteen ninety seven film Lolita he also wrote wall Street Money never Sleeps. But he also, you know, did nine episodes of The Americans and uh, the recent Super Pump series on Showtime. Did either of you see Super Pumped? It was about the. I
4: did not. Yeah, I haven't watched it.
2: It was actually very good. It was about the story of Uber. It it seems weird. It's like one of those things where like feels too soon to like tell the story of Uber, Um, but it was really well written. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, Brad. the The writing on this show is just exceptional, and it's so much in what it decides to show us and tell us and what it decides not to show us and tell us and just how clever it is about you know just giving us the information that we need to make the connections and stuff like that. It's it's um it's also remarkable how every one of these three episode arcs feels almost like its own movie like it really feels like we're getting off onto like an, a new season of t- TV here after the you know the heist uh, three episode arc. Um, this one also felt a little bit long. It might also have been like a little dialogue heavy. Was this like the longest episode of Star Wars television so far?
4: I th- I, th- I think S- the last episode was slightly longer, wasn't was it? Was it
2: longer? Okay, maybe maybe because it had so much action, I didn't. If this one felt longer, is what I'm saying, Brian. But uh, I I enjoyed it, and yes, I like uh. I like the, all the complexities that they're bringing to Monmartma. and uh, I yeah. But Brian, what did you think of this episode?
4: Um, I think I think like like you two did. Like the writing is really stellar in this, and it reminded me of a lot of really cool stuff. And there's so much like there's so much to bring to the table with this, and I really loved. And we'll get to it, I'm sure, like how it closed and sort of what I got out of this episode. Um, And this feels like one of the things I think I complained most about when we were doing these for Book of Boba Fett was how like each individual episode, like they didn't really give you any sense of like, this is what you're supposed to feel or here's the meaning here. Or there wasn't like a broader meaning to like understand in each of the individual episodes because it felt a little bit more like action figures playing. And at the end of every episode, I seem to have this, like, epiphany of, like, oh, that's what they're saying with this episode. And each of these episodes does say something. And I really love that style of writing. And and this episode definitely has a lot to say.
2: Yeah. Uh, oh, one other thing I wanted to bring up before we get into the episode is this tweet from Brandon Katz. I'm not sure if you saw it. Uh, but he he tweeted out this graph comparing the audience demand for Andor versus Mandalorian in season one and two in the book of Boba Fett and Obi-Wan. And basically Andor, Andor I'm not even sure where these numbers come from. Is this, uh, it doesn't say. So a uh, number of times the demand of the average title in this markets. I'm not sure where this actually, where these actually numbers originate from but the graph is kind of a, a bit damning because Andor is om- overwhelmingly lower than any of the star wars tv series the live action tv series so far and i wanted to get you, i wanted to get you guys uh to, to, wh- why do you guys think that is
3: I mean, I think the biggest reason probably is because this show isn't necessarily one that's going to be exciting for kids to watch, yeah. uh, you know, uh, Mandalorian and Obi-Wan. That's something that kids can still watch, even though, you know, it's it's not meant for like the youngest Star Wars fans. But th- this really like, I doesn't even work for like uh, adolescent Star Wars fans. I think like kids who are like 10 or 11 or 12 even probably aren't necessarily interested in this series because it feels like it's used towards more of an adult audience. So I think that's probably it. Yeah, um,
4: I, I think that there's I think there's something intimidating about it being as long as it is, too. And I mean, I talked to, to, to my son, who's 20, who keeps up on all the Marvel and Star Wars stuff as it comes out. I asked him yesterday if he watched any of Andor yet, and he was like, no, nah, I haven't. Um, I'm waiting to binge it all. Um, and I know it's really long, so I just want to watch it all at once. And I wonder if there's a lot of people like just holding off on it because they don't like that week to week model, which is absurd. I think the week to week model is far superior, uh, but that's just me, I guess.
3: And maybe there's something too about it it not necessarily feeling Um, immediate from just the beginning of the show, you know, I mean, we even talked about how the first two episodes, even though they, they work um, in leading up to, you know, what comes in episode three and kind of lays the table they're they're a bit of a slow burn, you know, Uh, kind of a slog to get through. And so I wonder if people just like kind of got that vibe from, you know, the marketing and saw that and decided to wait until it was all done on top of that. Cause like, that's honestly, that's something that I did with uh, Lord of the Rings, the Rings of power. I haven't watched it yet. I decided to hold off because, like, there was really nothing in the marketing that made me feel like, "Oh, this is an immediate must-watch for me." But now that the first season is done, I'm going to go and I will watch it sometime here in the near future.
2: I think the most surprising thing to me is when you look at this graph, and I sent it to both you guys. Usually, in a show, you see like moments, like uh, you you see how things are affected when like a big moment plays out in that season and the buzz goes around and people will go watch the episode. And it really feels like this show, like you think the heist, I thought the heist might've brought people to the show and it doesn't seem like it is, which is just really strange to me. But um, I mean, I, I agree with you, Brad. I think it's, you know, this show is not for kids. Not, not only is it not for kids, I think it's just for such a specific, audience it's not trying to be four quadrant at all i think it's trying to be one quadrant and um uh, i think it's a really good show uh i i think uh, some star wars fans might might be upset that it's not it doesn't feel like a star wars show and I'm, that's not me saying that there's no jedi or whatever but like even i have the criticism that there's not enough aliens There were some aliens in this episode i was kind of happy about but,
4: but. it it's I wonder if for some audiences this is, and I'm not saying this to be condescending or anything, but I think that the this show is smart enough that maybe it's going over some folks' heads. Uh, no, I, I mean, I, 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 it is a a
2: a show that requires more patience and more intelligence for sure. I do think that like. I think they would have benefited by releasing in three episode arcs. I think if if they, every week they released, you know, the first three episodes, the second three episodes, I I feel, I don't know, it it does feel like it's it's waning on on some people. Like some people have already given up, or maybe like uh, who was it, Brad, or so one of you to just suggest that maybe people are waiting to binge it at the the end of the season and maybe that's the case me i i honestly think it would probably be a more enjoyable experience to do that and i'm saying that as someone who's running a podcast where we talk about it week after week because i feel like you know this isn't a a show that uh benefits from the water cooler discussion as much as the other shows in so I mean, much that there's like not as many easter eggs there isn't as much speculation it's ver- it's very much like a uh I don't know. It it just doesn't feel like that thing of every week we need to like get around the water cooler and talk about it.
4: I mean, I enjoy getting around this water cooler <laughs> and talk talking about it every week. Like I, um, I, do I just too like talking about Star Wars and there's there is so much in this episode actually that that I think is interesting and and worth talking about. Not just from Star Wars, but from like history and from film and all that kind of stuff too.
2: Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Uh, I already mentioned the, the writer of this episode. Uh, I, I think actually probably this three-episode arc. They haven't confirmed that it's the... Do you do
4: we know if the writer stays the same
2: for the, all three episodes? I think that's been the case so far.
4: So far, that's been the case, but they can always break the mold whenever they want to.
2: Yeah. Well, the director of the this episode and next two is Benjamin Caron, and he got to start directing Darren Brown TV specials in the UK. And he went on to direct a few episodes of Skins, one episode of Sherlock, and most recently he did 11 episodes of The Crown. And he's also making his feature filmmaking dir- uh, directing debut with a film called Sharper coming out next year, starring John Lithgow, Sebastian Stan, Julian Moore, and Justice Smith. So... That, that is the, the pedigree that we're getting the, these three episodes from, and this uh, the title of this episode is Announcement, which I think is, is pretty uh, obvious because it's brought up early on in this episode, but Brian, I ask you every week, is, is there an alternate meaning to this week's title?
4: I think every character in this sort of makes an announcement, whether... Uh, personal like to themselves in like Cyril's case or to the world or to their loved ones about what it is they stand for. And everybody's sort of taking a stand with everything they believe in, whether that's Marva uh, and her announcement to Cassian that she's not going anywhere, whether it's, um, you know, Yularan and his announcement that the empire is going to be closing its fist around everything more i don't know i think i think there's definitely a lot of announcements or pronouncements being made on the show and that that might have something to do with the title i think that's
2: good reading okay let's get into the breakdown let's start first with cyril's story and i'm gonna break out his story just because it's so disconnected from everything else uh the opening scene has cyril getting ready for his first day at the department of standards Ah, uh, the job that he uh, got from his uncle Harlow, I think. Yeah, and being uh, he's there, being berated by his mother for his fashion choices. She thinks that uh, his caller says he's desperate for approval. Brad, what do you think? Like, is she just like trying to neg him? Like, you know what what is going? Like, is is he desperate for approval?
3: I mean, absolutely. Um, especially, you know, considering the fact that you know, he, he's ended up in this position, but like, uh, I think his mom is clearly somebody who, and I think that this is why he is the way he is, is because his mom has instilled in him this idea that nothing he ever does will be good enough. And that, you know, everything he's doing, he's trying too hard essentially to prove, you know, something. Uh, and so I think that the, we're, what we're seeing here is just like this, this long, you know, deeper history of why he is the way he is.
2: Yeah. Uh by the way I love all the intergalactic Tupperware that we see in this kitchen. Each has like these weird markings, these weird Star Wars like markings. Not arabesque, but like designs on them. Uh later S- Cyril is being given an orientation at the Department of Standards and it's it's like a non-funny Star Wars
4: version of office space. With I was thinking more of the apartment. The apartment like, I think so much of this, do um, you remember in the apartment, like all those shots of the desks just going on into infinity? Yeah. And, and it's played a little bit of like, like as a joke, but Jack Lemon's character is very much like, this is his prison, right? <laughs> and I feel like that's very much what's going on with Cyril here, is that he's being forced into this situation that he just wants to like prove himself and climb the ranks whatever way possible very much like jack lemon in in the apartment and the imagery of those those circular desks and the sameness of all of it and his individuality in the brown suit stretching off into infinity says so much with the visuals and then for that last shot for him to just be in the suit, just like everybody else and, and him being in like his version of hell was just so satisfying. Yeah.
2: And, uh, you know, this takes it to another level or multiple levels because it's, it's not just space cubicles for days, but it's multiple floors of space cubicles for days. So, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, pretty insane to see all the work required to make this empire run. And, uh, so Cyril makes his pitch about clearing his name. What do you think that was about? Because like, do you think this guy at this, at the department of, wait, where is he? The, the the department of standards. Do you think the guy at the department of standards even cares about what he's talking about clearing his name? Not one bit.
3: Yeah. I think, I think that he was hoping that he would, and maybe he might give him like a better position, but clearly he's just like, I I don't give a shit.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then he had to, like, uh, avoid the mouse droid, which I can, kind of shows how little, you know, control he has. At, at the end of the episode, we see him hard at work, scanning through data on a screen, and we, we pan up to reveal that he's working at on one of the cubicles, pods, in a field of dozens, on a floor of dozens of sections, just like his. And like you say, it's like a prison. It's weird because this show really does make us sympathize with someone we shouldn't sympathize with someone who you know whose loyalty is for the empire do you think it does that to to do you think it does that too hard is i guess my question is
4: is his loyalty to the empire or his is his loyalty to an institution of the rule of law Because I could see Cyril not actually caring about the politics of the empire or their fascism, but just that these are the laws and they need to be followed and we need to do that. And he's just a rule follower. And if he were existing in the exact same structure during the Galactic Republic era, he would be doing the same thing for the Republic. If he did it for the new Republic, he'd be working for Leia in the same way, making sure that the rule of law was followed.
3: Yeah, I think I I I agree with that assessment as well.
4: But it's also, yeah. you, you'd think someone like Cyril would
2: would be at home in the Department of Standards. He seems like a guy that, like, loves the rules.
4: Oh, he wants to fight injustice and rule breakers. <laughs> and this is not the place to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, am I reaching too hard, Brian, when I when oh, I wait. saw these pods and uh, I thought of the Lucasfilm edit droid?
4: No, I don't think I don't think you're you're reaching too far. I think that would be a cool reference. I didn't pick up on that at all. Yeah. But... I,
2: I looked it up. It does. It doesn't look. Uh, it's it's definitely not a uh, exact reference. But for those of you who don't know, Lucasfilm in the early days of uh, digital non-linear editing? editing,
4: non-linear editing.
2: Yeah, they created their own editing machine, kind of like an Avid, and it was like this but big hulking computer setup.
4: That's that's what it turned into. Edit Droid became Avid. Oh, it did. For some it, reason, it I did. I did not mind. know that.
2: I should have known that. Okay. Um. Anyways, uh, we're we're gonna cut to one of the other storylines. Let's cut to uh, Didra. So at the ISB, we learned that the measures of the Empire's taking to respond to the Aldani attack includes a tribute tax on any sector harboring harboring partisan partisan activity in the use of any local custom festival or tradition to cover for rebel activity. Uh So basically <clears throat> the fact that they are, t- I'll say this. Okay. The fact that they're charging any sector harboring, harboring partisan activity five times the cost of what was stolen from Aldani to me shows how little the money actually meant to the empire. And it's, it's more of, what happened and what you know the, the they don't want it, it's they don't want to look like they were got but at the same time that you know that money makes a lot of difference the rebellion uh uh you noticed in the scene that there is a a cool easter egg i did not notice the admiral
4: yeah so um admiral Yularen is the one who gives that speech at the beginning about how awful the empire is going to be after this in retaliation for aldani and Yularen has been in the Star Wars canon since 1977. He was the officer in the white uniform at the Death Star uh, briefing room uh, where Tarkin and Motti were arguing back and forth and Vader almost kills Motti. Um, It. He's been really important in the canon. He got his name, actually. This is, this is funny. The Star Wars customizable card game from Decipher is who actually gave him his name. And it's stuck. And in the new canon, he's been a really pivotal character. He appeared on The Clone Wars. He worked very closely with Anakin Skywalker. Um, And he was actually on the prosecution team against Ahsoka Tano when she was accused of blowing up buildings. He also uh, appeared on Star Wars Rebels. Um, He was... um, going to root out the spy who happened to be Agent Callis, And Agent Callis was one of his protégés in the Imperial Academy in his intelligence work. It was just after the uh, formation of the Empire that he switched from the Navy to intelligence in the Imperial Security Bureau. He was also a really prominent figure in Thrawn's rise to power, helping him navigate the political situation of being a grand admiral because Thrawn was great with tactics, not so good at politics. And you has been really important in uh, an important voice in Palpatine's ear throughout all of this. One of the most interesting things though, is that it was his job to root out sedition in the Senate. So that could very easily tie this ISB story to Mon Mothma personally.
2: Hmm. So how many actors have played this role?
4: So on the animated shows, it was Tom Kane, and it was all Tom Kane across that. There was uh, an actor who played him in A New Hope, and then this is the third actor who's taken a crack at him.
2: That's very cool. Okay, so uh, they also mentioned was it him that mentioned Emperor Emperor Palpatine? He talked. Yeah, he said
4: I spoke with the Emperor last night, like personally. Um.
2: This is the first mention of him in the series, which is kind of cool. Um, it's It's always weird to me when you have characters mentioning Emperor Palpatine because he feels like this figure that's like high up that like no one should be talking to. He's just like rolling from above. But um uh, so the Emperor's going to propose well, the, what were you gonna say?
4: I was going to say the thing you got to think about about Palpatine in this era. Is that he's still manipulating the Senate as he was as Chancellor? He's still playing that political game until he's able to dissolve it when he has the Death Star.
2: Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, and the, the, uh, so Emperor Palpatine is going to propose a bunch of bills that will allow them to make any search and seizure legally. In this. I, I hate to compare it to this, but it, it kind of feels kind of like uh, the galactic version of like what the Patriot Act was after 9-11. Like y- being able to to I mean, obviously, it's more nefarious or I guess if whatever uh, Am I am I am I wrong in comparing it to that?
4: No, not at all. Um, there was another historical tie I kind of saw with this as well um the flashback sequences made me really think about the boston massacre and how they treat aldani really as i was thinking about the boston massacre it was really propagandized by both the british as a call uh to bring the americans under heel and for the americans to um resist and it seems like aldani has been that rallying cry for all of the people on both sides in this episode like the boston massacre were were but that that spate of bills is very much like that that patriot act situation like you're talking about history just keeps repeating itself and star wars keeps stealing from it and people keep going <laughs> but i don't want politics in history and star wars because there never has been any ever and they're still wrong
2: yeah it's not like there's the word wars in the name which is mostly political But anyways, uh, so any criminal act, even indirect effect, that has even an indirect effect on the Empire becomes a class one offense. And uh, Dedra feels that all these measures is playing straight into their hand. Uh, I mean, what would be a better way to respond? Like, Do do you think it's playing straight into their hand?
4: I do, yeah. I mean, like... Basically, the more uncomfortable you make people, the more you make their lives turn their lives into hardship and hell. The more they're going to resist you, and the rebels need that. And she's right. L- Luthen says right there, like we need this. We need Palpatine to overstep because it's going to help people join our cause. Yeah. Okay. So meanwhile,
3: so I, I have a, I, I have a question. I, I sure. wonder. I guess. Well, maybe you know what? I'll say. I'll save it for speculation.
2: Okay, remember to bring this up, whatever you're going to bring up. Okay, so meanwhile, Luthen learns that about the Aldani heist through a radio, and he smiles, uh, learning that Mon Mothma has paid him an impromptu visit, and she is upset that the people will suffer because of this. Am I the only one who didn't put the pieces together that she wasn't involved or wasn't Uh, approving of this heist until now likely okay (laughs) (laughs) no yeah so okay so was that clear beforehand that like she was like completely not involved in what was going on at this point
3: i mean i don't know if they necessarily made made it clear that she didn't approve but like it was clear that like this wasn't something that she did not that she knew about because it wasn't discussed between her and Luthen. Their, their discussion was strictly focused on her getting him more funding.
2: Yeah. But I, I thought because of the funding conversation that maybe this was one of the solutions that they just weren't like outright. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just me. Anyways. Can you
4: imagine him like in their limited interactions with each other? Could you imagine him going like, Oh, by the way, I'm going to knock off this Imperial garrison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. that I don't know I, i'm not saying that like she knew the
2: information i i didn't think that she didn't knew it, but like i thought like she was you know she's funding this operation i thought she was like on board with what was going what was happening i guess and it, it seems clear now that she was kind of way more in the dark than i thought i thought she was so um uh By the way, we we heard on the radio earlier when he was like listening to it that 124 Aldani were being questioned uh, about this. Uh, So she's worried. She's upset that people will suffer because of this, and people already are suffering. And her plan is based on, uh, quote, finding a savior to access her family funds, which we'll end up seeing later. And Luthin says that they need fear. They need them to overreact. And uh, this is ex- exactly what Dedro was w- worried about. And uh, Luthen's assistant comments, I hope she's worth it after she leaves, which we all know she is because we've seen how this whole thing plays out. But um, I'll be honest with you. If I didn't know how all this plays out, I wouldn't, I would be very unsure if she's worth it at this point in time because she clearly, like I don't know her maneuvers in the Senate. All seem like I mean she even spells out later. We'll, we'll get to that later, I guess. But it, it it really feels like she's she's been so far unwilling to get them substantial money for this rebellion. She she's not really accomplishing much in the Senate. Uh, you know I would be worried. Is what I'm saying. So uh, Dedra has a lieutenant conf. Uh, Look into the missing Starfinder unit confidentially, and uh, we cut to a uh, Sinta uncovers a compact speeder on Aldani. She's still on Aldani, and uh, as she uncovers it, a star destroyer passes overhead. It looks like a smaller one, but it's still a star destroyer nonetheless. Um, I guess that's a question: uh, How is Sinta going to get off Aldani?
4: I I. I'm not sure if it the plan is for her to get off for a while and maybe she won't or maybe somebody'll okay. pick her up later or maybe um maybe Vel will get her on her way to assassinate Cassian. Hmm. But okay, I think so, that's going to be like I think Cassian's well, let's get into that in speculation. Yeah. Okay, so Dedra
2: is called out at the ISB meeting and uh the Major actually takes her side. She was able to access uh, the sector data without an official request using a new emergency act, uh, using the cover of the new emergency act that was put into place. And by doing so, she can now pr- prove a link between the theft of empire technology and distribution to rebel groups. And uh, the major is like, you know, you guys should be more like her. And uh, walking with the Major after the session, he warns her to watch her back. Um, which, I mean, it seems obvious. Everybody's faulting uh, for power here. But do you think, I mean, they're all there for the same goal, right? Like, they, they all want to get back at this rebel group. Do you really think that, like, she's going to have a knife in her back because she was the first to the solution?
3: I mean, I, in this world, like, absolutely, because, like, we, you see just how cutthroat and, like, snarky they are with each other, and, like, everyone in there is also trying to get themselves ahead in addition to, you know, helping ISB and, like, you know, making the Empire stronger, but but just like any, you know... Uh, you know, corporate entity has people inside trying to get ahead, you know, get a promotion and beat out other people for whatever opportunities may arise. You have the exact same thing here. So even if they're all fighting for the same thing, they still each have their own individual aspirations.
4: Well, and you're working in an ecosystem where they can very much, like, get away with literally stabbing each other in the back to get ahead. So meanwhile, Luthen's assistant, Clea arrives
2: at the transit station on Coruscant and follows some markers to find Val. The money has been moved and the trawler has apparently been buried and is gone for good. But uh, the big thing to take away from this scene is that Val is shocked that Luthen didn't actually show up himself to meet her. Uh, Number one, why do you think he's not there himself? And number two, do you think that the the trawler is she says the trawler has been buried and is gone for good. Do you think that's going to come back into play?
4: Um. Well, obviously he didn't meet her for operational security and he doesn't want to be tied to this. Um, and, and two, like, because I mean, it very much seemed like she wasn't even supposed to be there or asking questions and just needed to lay low. Clay made it very clear that she wasn't following the plan by even reaching out. Um, and yeah, I, I, I feel like the trawler is too low stakes for everything else they're building for them to bring that back of all things.
2: Yeah, I kind of agree there. Uh, Vel asked about Cinta. Obviously there's a relationship there that was kind of hinted at in last week's episode. And she's basically warned that receiving messages is just as dangerous as sending them. So basically back off. And uh, Vel is given the mission to find and kill their loose end in this whole situation, Cassian and or, uh, this is what a revolution looks like. She says, and you know, what? I honestly didn't expect this. I didn't think that, um, that, uh, Cassian was going to have to avoid not only the empire, but also the rebel, like that both people were going to be out for him. Uh, and, I also don't think uh, Val has it in her to kill Cassian, nor does do I think that she has the willpower not to contact
4: Sinta. Well, that's why, I mean, as far as my speculation, we'll just do it now where it's appropriate. Okay, yeah, She's going to be the one busting him out of prison, probably with Cinta's help. Yeah, yeah, pro-
2: probably, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll get to m- more of that talk later. Uh, by the way, I'm going to... Uh, the way the Cassian talk for a bit. Let's we'll talk okay. about uh, what's can I, going.
4: Can I talk about my favorite Easter egg from the episode that's in that scene? Oh sure, go for it. Um, she's walking through a lot of hallways, and you know, I mean, Star Wars always references THX eleven thirty eight, right? You've always got the numbers one one three eight around somewhere, um, but. Uh, as Clea is walking through these hallways, some of them look. They they have this similar look and are photographed very much the way George Lucas used real world locations to simulate the far future of or you know whatever THX eleven thirty eight was. But as Claya is walking through the hallways. One of the troopers is calling out some number designations and calls out Luh three one four seven, which is La thirty one forty seven THX's wife in THX eleven thirty
2: eight. Oh, that's I did not notice that one. You got you got two good Easter eggs this this episode, Brian. That I did not see. Um, okay, let's uh, before we get to casting, let's talk about Mon Mothma. Uh, she meets with a childhood friend tay coma take coma according to the uh actually she introduces uh him to her daughter and uh this is at a cocktail reception at her residence and uh i want to say that i love that there's some aliens and droids here i feel like the series is lacking in both uh it's probably one of my uh biggest nitpick criticisms of the show uh It's clear that Tay is not loyal to the empire and she needs his help. She admits that she knows people look at her as a, as a polite, sometimes an indecisive Senator who spends the days fighting and failing to protect separatist do-gooders and battle empire overreach. She claims it's all a lie. So she needs help accessing her family's bank accounts to which have been kind of closed off to her. And he, she wants him to be the chairman of a charitable outreach foundation that is the cover for something more, something that she can't really uh, tell him. And uh, I think this actually has my favorite moment of this episode, which is like she's talking to him and her husband, Perrin, uh, Perin, is on his way over there. And Mona's like, he knows none of this. He's not to be trusted. Smile. I was like, that is just good, good writing, like good tense writing. Uh, But Brian, you wanted to mention something about.
4: Yeah, like Mon Mothma talks a lot about how she has these charities and humanitarian efforts. And that's sort of like been seen as this minor irritation for the Empire. And that's basically all she is. She's just sort of a very nice and polite minor irritation to the Empire. And she talks about these humanitarian efforts that sort of are in aid of that, but we've seen in other bits of Star Wars how these humanitarian efforts can actually um, directly benefit the rebellion. And I would point people to the episode of the second season of star Wars rebels called a princess on Lothal. And at this point, um, bail organ has heard about the rebels and their losses at Garel and knows that they need ships and material for everything that they're going through. And so he sends three hammerhead Corvettes to Lothal as a relief effort for the people there who've been totally squeezed and crushed by the Empire. But he also sends Leia there to coordinate with the local rebellion to steal the ships and all of that material so that they can go and use it for the rebellion. But because the rebels steal it from Imperial custody, Bail Organa is able to blame the rebels for it and say, and blame the Imperials for it and say, like, how dare you? Like, how dare you not protect this? This was going to the people of Lothal. What are you going to do to help them now? And all of a sudden, like, no one can suspect him of providing these to the rebels because they were stolen in it from Imperial custody. And someone's head is going to roll for this. And Bail Organa did it very well there. And I I wonder if by them mentioning that for Mon Mothma, we're going to see some of that. Um, see her navigate some of that in the future as well it's possible okay uh, let's jump to Cassian's
2: story here so Cassian visits uh, Marva's home his home on Ferrix, and B2 Emo is happy to see him and he's told that Ferrix is under imperial authority which we saw a couple episodes ago and that it was Tim that turned him in and uh, Cassian was has enough credits to relocate Marva and b two anywhere in the galaxy, but his adopted mother seems reluctant to leave uh but while she uh she's at home he he pays a visit to bix who uh has an injury uh sustained from was that sustained from uh the last time we saw her
4: yeah yeah which kind of tells me. Um, it, it kind of tells me that, that not a whole lot of time has passed, even with Cassian laying low for that little bit.
2: Yeah. Uh, she warns him that he'll be turned in if he stays there because everyone in town blames him for what happened. Uh, obviously the, you know, the Imperial setting up base there, it seems like a horrible place to live now. Uh, she says he needs to get as far away from there as possible. And he asks for information about Luthen, which she has nothing. She he says, uh, "If if she ever talks to him again, she is to tell Luthen that Cassian held up his end of the deal, and that he needs to forget about him." Uh, he gives her twelve thousand credits, everything he owes, and takes off. But I suspect this is not going to be the last time when we see Bix. Um,
4: no, she'll be around.
2: Yeah uh we can talk about that into speculation but uh okay so K- cassian makes his way through the town and past some stormtroopers which makes us uh which brings us to a flashback memory of him and some clone troopers marching through the same part of the city and that was when clem uh tried to tried to uh calm some enraged citizens uh but they end up throwing some rocks at the troopers and Clem is caught in the direction. And this is what I, like an example of what I'm saying of how the the writing on the show is good because they could have showed how this plays out, but we we know immediately as this the clone troopers turn around what's to happen and why
4: even show it. Right? Um It's it's that cinematic technique. Um that Kurosawa used to refer to as sort of like the ellipsis, right? It's like, you know, what's going to happen when the cut happens. So there's no point in showing it. Yeah. So at
2: Marva's B2 emo leaves his charging dock as casting returns. And I love how B2 is kind of like a Rumba. He has his, like only like charging dock and everything. And uh, when is Disney going to make one of those so that I can have a uh, B2 emo running around my house? That's what I want to know. Um, Marva reveals that she can't go with him. For years, she's avoided walking down the town center because of the memory of Clem's body hung up. Uh, But after hearing about what happened in Eldani, she walked across the square with a smile on her face. Uh, We do see a grin on Andor's face when she mentions this, but why do you think he chose not to tell Marva that he was actually part of this big
4: because the story would spread it would connect people there but he does feel that swell of pride that she'd be proud of him if he told her um
2: he insists that aldani was just a robbery but for the first time he's i i i think for the first time he's realizing what it might actually mean for people of the galaxy and um we also get some quick flashbacks that seem to indicate that young Cassian took revenge on the clone troopers that were responsible for the death of his adopted father. So as, as Brad said earlier, uh, the seeds of rebellion uh, have been in him for quite some time here. Uh, so th- there's a really lovely moment of a goodbye here where, you know, he can't stay and she can't go and they will miss each other dearly because that's what love is and uh Brad do you think we're going to see Marva again?
3: Uh I mean yeah, I feel like they they this probably isn't the end of uh her story, you know. If it, if it is, then I think that's that's perfectly fine, but I feel like we'll get one final moment if anything. There's a part of me that's kind of worried that maybe there's uh a bit of a tragic end maybe in her future. <sighs>
2: I think you might. That that, that sounds probably right. Um, as he leaves, she insists that he stops searching for his sister. There is no survivors on Kanari. Uh, why do you think she wants him to let it go so badly?
3: I mean, it the, the basic, I, I think, explanation is that she knows that if he, you know, keeps on going after it, he's probably just gonna get himself in more trouble and probably yeah. get himself killed.
2: Get himself caught and killed.
4: For I sure. think she she knows more about it than he does too. Yeah. Interesting. Okay.
2: Uh later we cut to I don't know how to pronounce this planet
4: name. Do you know how to pronounce it, Brian? I it's new, uh so however Naomas. I I I um it looked to me like nah Niamis or Nymos?
3: Niam- I don't know. Nyamos. <laughs> Niamis.
2: Yeah. Well, it's a beach resort town with, with upbeat party music playing. By the way, the music in this whole sequence is unlike anything I've heard in Star Wars. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, we see a curly-haired woman who just woke up and calls for Keith, who we learn is Cassian's new alias. And, uh, this woman is windy. Uh, she is played by Katrina Nair, who was in doom annihilation. Uh, the music, uh, yeah, the, the music's great. And, uh, he's running the shower as he opens a hidden case with credits and blasters. And he's told to pick, pick up some Pizos and revnog. Are these new
4: things, Brian? Um, you know, these these alcohols, Revnog particularly, have been really mentioned a lot on this show, particularly. I think Revnog started with this show. Um, but it's just yeah, it's just booze. Like Cassian's drinking himself stupid. I think they mentioned that the two guards
2: in the first episode were drink, drinking Revnog, which was illegal at one point or something like that, in one of the episodes. Um uh uh, so Cassian walks by beachgoers who are laying on these like terrace steps and nothing looks as like a beach resort as a beach resort filmed on a cold day somewhere in England, guys. <laughs> it, it does not look like fun at all to me. Um, also. I love that there's aliens here. Like there's like the shirtless alien playing a game with some like woman at a parkside like bench that would like normally have like a chess like set or something on it. Um, there's a bunch of guys that try to escape a shore trooper, and he is approached by and and uh, Cassian is approached by a shore trooper while he's just walking, and uh, the shore trooper thinks he might be part of whatever happened and he tries to argue that he he's just a tourist but the short trooper isn't willing to listen because the short trooper t- saw him turn turn right and uh just as this is happening a KX series imperial security droid shows up did either of you think in this moment that we were going to get K2SO
3: no i didn't think so cuz just cuz like that's obviously a modified you know imperial security droid and so i just figured this would be like uh, you know a way for us to see uh, Cassian's interaction with a droid like K2SO that kind of contrasts, you know, what we know is eventually coming for him down the road.
2: Yeah, I think they've confirmed that we're not going to see him until season two. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say that it, I think it's funny that still, even in a non-modified form, it's funny to see the the KX droid like be taking things literally, where he's like, uh, uh hang on to uh, the, the show trooper tells the KX droid to hang on to Cassian and the droid like misunderstands the instruction. Actually it holds Cassian up against the wall. <laughs>
4: <laughs> tell him, tell him you mean it to watch me. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's good. It's good stuff. Um, so Keith Gergo is called up in court and accused of civil disruption, anti-imperial speech, fleeing the scene of an anti-imperial activity attempted damage of imperial property by the way i, I just want to mention that this is cool that we're seeing uh even connected to the story that like we're seeing uprising of sorts you know in other parts of the galaxy i mean it it's he 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 was uh misidentified as one of the people but it but it's happening and uh he's given 6 years sentence for what used to be a 6 month sentence. Um, I think
4: I think this kind of like ties in pretty directly with that shot of him attacking those clone troopers. Right? So that What do you mean? So that to me implied that that's what he did that 3 year stint on Mimbam for. Oh, right. So he did three years in Mimban for actually physically assaulting these clone troopers. And now he's getting six years for being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's it's definitely to draw this contrast between how lenient in air quotes the Empire was and how they're cracking down now and with no proof or no evidence like yeah. he attacked those troopers. Obviously, there's going to be something to pay for that. Like he was literally just standing in the wrong place. And this this goes to kind of show that growth in the Empire's boot on everybody's neck, but also um, speaks to more of that sort of, um, you know, anti police establishment thread that this 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 show has going on that I really love.
2: Yeah, for sure. And uh, I also want to say uh, from a production design standpoint, and as someone who used to work retail in an age where you actually had to take an impression of a, each credit card that was used for a purchase that I think it's fun that they were using a credit card impression devices like this, whatever they were using it as metal sentencing plate thing. I, uh, I always love how star Wars finds ways of making it seem kind of uh, more analog in a futuristic world and, and, that one uh i loved okay so uh we've reached the end of this episode guys before we get into
4: speculation is there anything else you wanted to say about the episode um i would say when you're looking at those clone wars flashbacks compare those to the images we have like the propaganda images we have of the boston massacre and it's actually really striking um and and that's I, I think looking to the Boston Massacre for this episode is really interesting um, because it did get propagandized from both sides in in two different ways. And they both really started the same way with that unruly crowd throwing rocks at a soldier and then the officer saying, OK, we're going to open fire and having that firmly implanted in Cassian's brain from his point of view is really interesting. And I think it's going to shade a lot of his character going forward. And I don't know. I always think it's worth it to, to go back and look at these things that star Wars is referencing. And I don't think there's any doubt that the Boston massacre had to be on the minds of the filmmakers uh, during these moments. And what's more depressing is that like the empire is creating these, like, like it kind of casts Clem as this Crispus addicts character. Right. And, what's depressing is the empire's creating these crispus Attucks characters on every planet across the galaxy. And this is playing out everywhere.
2: Yeah. And it's like you said earlier, it's exactly like what they wanted, what this group wants to happen is that them putting the foot down more is going to create more resistance, more outrage, more pockets for potential, you know, uh, groups in the rebellion. And, um, Okay, let's get into speculation. Uh, so Cyril, we'll start with him. He seems to be stuck in his own uh, hell or prison, metaphorically. How is he going to get out?
3: I well, one thing I want to say since we uh, we didn't necessarily address this full uh, final shot, but I I love the contrast uh, between when it cuts from uh, Cassian being choked by the K two S O droid to Cyril in this office setting which is basically like him essentially being choked in an entirely different way just like being stuck in this hell
4: it's it it actually comes a little later it's after the sentencing and they're dragging him off to prison Cyril is stuck now in his own prison how is he going to get
1: out
3: I mean I feel like he's probably just going to you know climb the the bureaucratic ladder that's there and look for opportunities to like get ahead and try to get back to you know some semblance of a of a position that he can you know feel like he can do what he wants to do again
4: I th- I still think he's going to end up somehow with Dedra I, I re- think so too I don't think there's any way
2: out of working your way up in 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 that that group I don't think working your way up just gets you to a different floor with another whole set of
3: well, I think that's the idea though. I think that that's like that's exactly what he's going to do. Is like he he will work his way up those mundane ranks, but he'll but I think that Brian's right. I feel like he'll probably end up uh w- with Dedra somehow.
2: Yeah. Okay, so Dedra is now seems to be on the right path. Uh she you know, her her uh her boss is uh, facilitating allowing her to to chase down this theory that she has. And she seems to have made some connections, Uh, but will do? do You think the ISB infighting is going to pose a threat for her investigation?
3: So here's where my speculation uh, comes in that I talked about before saving for this part. Yeah, part of me is wondering if uh, we're going to get some kind of twist here, and that Dedra, even though she doesn't seem like it, is doing this in favor of the rebellion somehow that like, I wonder if she is doing some of these things to be part of that idea of making it so that the empire is tightening its grip and, you know, pressing down uh, their boots down on the necks of, um, you know, the the galaxy as a way of ensuring that the spark of the rebellion does rise up, like making things just intolerable enough that it turns against them. And so cause I, think, I think it would be interesting if, if, as, you know stiff and cold as she seems if she is you know really just a great spy uh for the rebellion and is doing this at, in that effort
2: i feel like the, the earlier mention where she's like talking to one of the other people there and she's like this is just what they want and like i mean i guess she could be
3: that's what she a could good, be in character that's, yeah that's exactly what a good spy could do
4: hmm Brian, what do you think? Do you you think there's a possibility that Dedra is a spy? I think it's a possibility, but I also feel like that story has been done with Agent Callis, who was a protege of Admiral Yolaren's and rose through the ranks of the ISB and turned out to be feeding information to the rebels and had to leave in defect. So, it could happen, but it has happened before. I will say,
2: if I see any of these characters kind of turning in a way cyril they are really weighing it on thick with the for us to sympathize with him and i i do you think there's a way that in the end he could be be, be beyond
4: the rebellion oh no i think he blows with the wind and the law and the order and if the the rebellion is the prevailing law of the land that's what he's going to go with um I honestly
2: didn't see this coming with Cassian not only being hunted by the empire but also the rebels. It's an interesting dynamic that they have here and also now he's captured. So the question is how long until they connect the dots and realize he's the guy from Ferrix, the guy that uh I mean I, do they don't know that the guy from Ferrex was
4: responsible. Do they know the guy from Ferrex is part of the re- rebellion group? There there are a lot of loose ends that could tie him to that time and place. And that's the thing that I think is so exciting for Luthan and Mon Mothma is that they need this loose end tied up because the more he escapes and the more he, he sort of the more he's known around the galaxy even under by different names the more likely it is for them to draw those connections to them and that's a problem no it's definitely a problem
2: uh and y- you think he's going to get broken out of pr- like so okay this is a question so if the first arc of this Series: The first three episodes was Cassian's origin and him finding his way to the rebel, uh, the the rebellion. In the second arc was the heist and him deciding not to be part of that cause. What do you think this third arc is going to be?
3: I mean, I think the third arc clearly has to be him coming back to the rebellion, whether it's because he's forced prison break
2: to... and yeah, coming prison... Back?
3: yeah, prison break and coming back, whether it's because he's forced to because he has nowhere else to go or because. Uh, you know, something happens, he finds something out that makes him, you know, want to take down the Empire that much more, which it could be him learning more about something that happened with his sister. Uh, it could be, you know, maybe Marva uh, coming to an end as well. But th- there's, there's going to be something that, that pushes him because after this first season, we or somewhere in the season or maybe after the season, we have uh, a time jump because the, ne- the second season deals with the uh, remaining four years leading up to the events of Rogue One.
2: And you mentioning time jump, we should mention that this is the first time in the series that I feel like there is a significant time jump because when we cut to Cassian's story on that new planet, that beach planet, the beach resort planet, uh, it seems like time has gone by, like a significant amount of time has gone by. How much time, we don't know. We know there's this first season takes place over the course of a year, but he has a girlfriend, Windy, do you think we're ever going to see Wendy again? Probably Doubt-
3: not. Yeah, doubtful.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, he didn't seem too to, uh, close to her, anyways. Like she, she didn't know his real name. Uh, okay, uh, I, I feel like Bix is somehow going to become involved in the rebellion. What do you guys think?
4: I do, and I wonder if if she's going to be a motivating factor in what happens to Cassian and in in his arc. And I think it would be really interesting to see Vel and Cinta and Bix get together um, as one of these nascent rebel cells as well. I don't know. Maybe I just yeah. want to see those characters interact. Yeah. No, I,
2: I'd i love to see them together. And I, I, I think she just has the the characteristics of someone that would be a, a rebel. Like, she just has that kind of vibe to her. Um and uh she seems to be at uh you know she has the talents that could be used by by a rebel cell of like you know being uh you know mechanical and and stuff so uh yeah, I guess that's all I have for speculation. did you guys have anything else for the speculation portion things I don't think so
4: no no, yeah, I'm just excited to see where where we head next for the next episode
2: <laughs> me too. And that'll be next week. Uh, You can find more of all the stories we mentioned on today's podcast. There's a bunch of uh, articles that Brian did. I'll link them in the show notes. This podcast can be found on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our new newsletter. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Chris is running that, and it's great. Uh, Send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, speculation to Peter... At And please rate and read this podcast now. Podcast if you're enjoying it. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you tomorrow.
1: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done.